to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local makers to reinvent the way food and beverage products get to market in Oregon. Our vision is to inspire, mentor, support, and assist local producers reach their fullest potential. For over 40 years, Market of Choice has been supporting our local farmers, ranchers, fisher folk, and entrepreneurs. We believe the way we source products has a positive ripple effect across our great state. That's why we are proud to offer over 7,000 local products to our stores and that the majority of our purchases support our robust regional food system. Thanks, Market of Choice. We're super into you right now. Everybody's been shopping there. Yeah, Market Uh, of Choice is awesome. They are. Hello and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear the stories of female food entrepreneurs. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Massoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. We're so glad that you guys have all joined us live today. We're honoring our social distancing and calling in for the shows. Uh, Since we're a live radio show, we think it's important for us to hear the stories of hope of all of our food friends out there in this kind of moment of uncertainty. So we're going to still do our best to connect with the other female food entrepreneurs and tell their stories. We do have some food news for you today. Uh, We want to let you know that the Portland Farmer's Market at PSU will be open Saturday again from 8.30 to 2 to provide fresh local food in an open-air environment. Uh, I'll be there as a volunteer from 11 to 1.30, so if you want to come give me an air high-five and smile, keeping our six feet apart, we can do that. Uh, We just wanted to show our support to all the local farmers and food uh, entrepreneurs out there. So. Come to the farmer's market if you can this weekend. And Sarah, you have some food news too, right? Yeah, Elsie Jimville has a GoFundMe. She was one of our first uh, visitors on our radio podcast last summer. Go ahead and listen to that and see if you might be able to find her on GoFundMe and give her 20 bucks to get her going. Also, last night I was pleasantly surprised to see that Eben Bean, a local uh, soft serve shop, has chocolate treats on their website so you can go in there and find a page that has all these beautiful photographs of local chocolates and for 40 bucks you can fill your chocolate cupboard at home yeah i think a lot of our um, food friends are finding ways to sell things online where maybe they had shops open before so um, we can go through and post some links on our instagram to different places that are doing home delivery or or shipping and i know our guests today ship directly to home too so make sure uh, all you listeners out there to support your local businesses and order from them directly at this time it's really helpful uh, to get things directly from their websites 
So we have uh, two guests on the line today. We're joined with Martinique Grigg and Clara Vinard of Coro Salumi, based in Seattle, Washington. Welcome, ladies. Thank Hi. you. Thanks. I've, did I say your names right? <laughs> yeah, you got the name right. <laughs> Good job, you, Sarah. Usually I have time to practice with you before, but we were trying to figure out all the technology, so I just did my best. I jumped right in there. <laughs> you were 100% spot on. <laughs> so thanks for joining us today. We, um, Sarah and I met you ladies at the Fancy Food Show in San Francisco which now feels like ages ago, but it was just in January. You guys were um, there at the show. We were on the same floor. So um, I'm so glad that our paths crossed and now we could have you on the show. That's wonderful. We're, we're so excited to be here. Well, we want to help tell your story and we want to connect you to other makers and new customers. So can you give us your um, social media handles and the best way that people can find you to follow along your journey? Yeah, we we do a lot on social media. So we're on um, um, Facebook and Instagram. You can find us under the hashtag Coro Foods. Uh, our, we also have a, a restaurant. And so if you want to learn more about our restaurant and what we're, you know, our specials are for the week, there's also we have a hashtag Salumi Seattle uh, that you can follow also on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, that was one of the questions I had right off the bat because um, it's really about your name. So the the restaurant is called Salumi, right? Yes. And that's and that's S A L U M I. But what you guys make is it salami? <laughs> 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 or do you also still say Salumi? I'm just so unsure. <laughs> That's funny, Sarah. <laughs> You're cracking me up today. <laughs> we so we say salami. I mean, we we say salami. I mean, the uh, salumi is the Italian word for deli meats, and that's actually why. So originally, we started off as a restaurant deli um, called Salumi in Seattle. Very well known, founded in, in 1999. I'm Marilyn and Armandino Vitali. Um, and um, but our, Marilyn and Armandino also started then making cured meat and salami in the back. Um, and they still called it salumi. We ended up then, um, so, you know, fast forward 20 years, um, Armandino and Marilyn sold the business to their, their daughter, Gina, and she ran it for 10 years with her husband. And, um, Marnique and I um, got to know them and they were ready to retire. And so we bought the business now in, in 2017. Um, we were, I, mean, I guess I'm not sidetracking a little bit, tell you a little bit about how we got into this. And then we can tell you a little bit about how we launched, why we ended up deciding to launch Coro. Um, but we, uh, so we bought the business because we were longtime fans of Salumi. I mean, we met, we hit it off with Gina and Brian and her husband, Brian, and, um, we decided that, I mean, we were big fans of the product. I mean, I used to go and visit people outside Seattle and I'd take, you know, product from Salumi and say like, this is what we make in Seattle. This is the amazing salami and cured meats that we make in Seattle. Um, so longtime fans. Um, also, Martinique and I were super excited about the opportunity to potentially, um, you know, to, to show that like women can, can run something and what we can do as partners. We also both have little kids uh, between, you know, the ages of four and nine. And we're like, 
you know, let's show how we can also um, have a, you know, start making, have our own like food business and do it in a way that is still sustainable as moms as well. And as, as partners. And so Martinique and I were longtime friends and it was like a pretty unique opportunity to demonstrate how we could do this. Um, I also personally had a passion for food my whole life. I came from a family that made Italian confectionery and chocolate. Ooh. Um, and food is like the center of my family's world. It was the center of my childhood. It was what I did on the weekends, even as a teenager. I founded an Ital- uh, like a um, I founded a catering business and uh, worked for a, a James Beard award-winning chef, you know, helping her write a cookbook and sort of was my food was my world. Life takes you in many directions. I did a bunch of other things and, you know, Peace Corps and development and all this other stuff. And, but ultimately this also, when this opportunity with Lily came up, I was like, oh my God, this is my passion. It's like my calling my whole life. I've been waiting to do, to get back into food. And so it was a pretty cool opportunity. But when Martinique and I bought it, so back to the question around the name, uh, when we bought it um, and started, you know, we spent the first year really getting mentored by Gina and Brian, learning how to make the salami, learning all the recipes and, you know, spending a lot of time just, you know, um, working in the restaurant and working in production, making the, the salami and cured meats um, uh, that, you know, and listening to our customers and we realized it was extremely confusing to be called salumi um, beyond the restaurant um, because it is the Italian word for deli meats. If you go to many stores or many restaurants and you ask for salumi, they'll say, yeah, we, you know, the, the, it's, it's actually the word for the entire category. I'm always like, it's kind of like being called like a cheese maker and being called queso. <laughs> it's just very, very confusing. And so we realized um, and a lot, a lot of friends would send us photos of a menu and say, hey, they have your product. They have a salumi board. I'm like, no, that's just like a board of cured meats. <laughs> it's, so, it's hard to have your brand well represented when it's so general because <laughs> people can't really distinguish between the two things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and then also you can't even, I mean, there were people, there are people that make product and they call it the salumi brand. Um, and, you know, and so even, you know, people might be thinking they're buying salumi because it's branded salumi, but really it's not even our, our product. So we, we spent a bunch of time and we can tell you about the, the name um, uh, Coro. Um, and I'll let Martinique tell you about the name Coro. <laughs> um, and um, that, that we decided that it was time if we really wanted to, you know, expect, give more people access to our salami and cured meats, we had to do it under a new name. And it was a really tough decision that we just, but it's actually ended up being great. And the reception's been great. Yeah. I came up with a jingle for you. You did? What is it? <laughs> it's, um, you say salumi, I say salami. <laughs> you can think of the rest of the word. <laughs> It's a good one, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> now I want you to fit charcuterie in there somehow. <laughs> well, you you ladies are our first guests to have, you know, we interviewed a lot of women business owners, but you're the first guests that we've had that have taken over another business. And um, I just wanted to compliment you on the rebrand because I have bought the... Um, 
you know, products for a long time. So even though we're in Portland, we're not in Seattle, but there are a few places that would sell it, but they never had it in the same form that you guys sell the Coro meats now. They were, you had to get it from a deli, um, pre-sliced, you know, so we had a place, Foster and Dobbs, that I would always buy the mole salami from. And that one's my favorite. Mm. Uh, but now you can get it online on your website and it didn't used to be that way. And I love how all of the packaging looks. So I'm guessing that you ladies have done all those changes as part of you taking over the business, right? Yeah, it's been a pretty um, fun and crazy ride. Um, yeah, when we first joined the business, it was really, really small. It was in a really tiny space in the production of the cured meat. So we make salamis, but we also make some salty meats like that are prosciutto-like. Uh, like we make a culatello, which is the king of prosciutto. It's actually like the heart of the prosciutto, and we make a copa. And all that was in this teeny tiny space when we took over. Um, and so we spent a year just kind of apprenticing with Gina and Brian and even Armandino um, was, you know, sort of taught us the trade. And we really learned everything about how the product was made. Um, but we also knew that we were going to have to grow um, if we really wanted to get the product out there to um, as many people that loved it like we did. Uh, just like you said, it was really hard to find. And that was the number one thing we were hearing from the fans of the food was that it was just they wanted to have more access to it. Um, so over time, we were able to move our restaurant to a slightly larger location in the heart, just around the corner, actually, in Pioneer Square, which is the oldest neighborhood in Seattle. Uh, and then we were able to also move our production to a larger space as well and really be able to figure out, like, what are the things that um, make our product unique and artisan and ensure that it got um, saved and retained as we moved. And, uh, you know, back to back to the point around, like, the name change, we, it was a really hard decision for us. But this whole process of spending a year just learning about what our DNA is as, like, a company and as and what makes our product special really helped us to understand that Armandino had really like the brace like, like the whole art of salumi making is it is Italian, you know, a lot of people associate it with Italian, but there is a lot of um, like free formness to it. Like if you go to different towns in Italy, you will see that the art of salumi making is different from town to town. So like a copa in one town might be different than how it's made in another town. And Armandino, when he took, he learned, studied, you know, the different traditions in Spain and Italy. And when he came back to the U.S., he actually developed his own technique. Um, and so that was the technique that we learned and that we've been carrying on again with our own twist. And so what we really realized is that it's, he's kind of, he had kind of started this tradition of like a modern twist on, on this time honored, you know, of salumi making. Um, and even when you look at his recipes, like mole, right, that's Mexican inspired. Um, our finocchione has curry in it. So we even have these really unique and kind of like, like modern blended recipes and flavors. Uh, and so when we thought about that and we thought about our name, we were like, let's do something that really honors that. And so that's how we kind of came up with Coro, which is actually the Italian word for chorus. And so the idea there was it's just this chorus flavors that come together to create something new and unique. Um, but the other reason we liked it is because it's also about like the core people that have like layered onto this tradition over time and really make it what it is. It's not, it's not just like one person that does everything, right? There's always like a team of people behind uh, create something special that people really connect with. So we were super excited to launch that. And then Clara, I don't know if you want to tell your jazz story, Clara. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you always say that's, that's the third reason. Coro, <laughs> I mean, chorus is also a term used in, in jazz. Um, and 
And what I I, I, it, I love about it is that it's, I, I feel like we're kind of like jazz um, in that, you know, so for centuries, people in the U.S. always looked to Europe for the, as the center of the musical world. And it was like everybody, the music we were doing in the U.S. was a repetition, a replication of of what was ha what the classical music from Europe. And then jazz came along and it was influenced by that, but it was also influenced by all these new world musical traditions and rhythms and jazz, you know, was born and ultimately transformed music back in Europe. And so I'm like, we're kind of like jazz, you know, we're learning from Europe, um, but we're also learning from all these new world culinary traditions. And I mean, I'm actually originally sort of Argentine with, Italian family and so there's there you know the mole is Mexican and we have a new flavor that's coming soon with lemongrass which is Vietnamese influences and so you know we're like we're like jazz and that we're 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 also influenced by all the new world and U.S. immigrant culinary traditions that exist here and so that's also reflected actually in our packaging the design of the packaging is reminiscent of the Blue Note jazz album of the 1950s. Um, and so if you open each paper out, each one is unique and it has these like really cool prints that, uh, that, that remind us of those jazz album covers. Can you tell us a little bit about how you developed your packaging and came up with this beautiful idea of having like jazz involved with your branding? Well, it was that, <laughs> it was that, I mean, we basically, we were debating or talking about, you know, what we're about. We really started actually thinking about what we're, what are we about? What's in our DNA? Like, what do we care about? And then this idea of, I mean, I'm a huge fan of jazz and music, um, you know, um, play music my whole life. And so I, um, you know, th this also was very, we started talking about how we felt a little bit like we were like jazz. And so that just became, it kind of went on from there and looked at jazz album covers and got inspiration. We, even as we were thinking about our name, we were like, well, do, are, are we going to be influenced by jazz? And actually, so Coro in part came up also because of the chorus and jazz. Yeah. I and would, also, go ahead. Oh, oh yeah. I was just going to add, like we, um, we, we work, we worked with some designers that are local here in Seattle that we're really good friends with as well so we spent a lot of time kind of like sitting around throwing around ideas and talking about what the essence was and actually I think one of them I think it was either Nate or Steve actually said it's like food jazz remember Clara <laughs> we were like yeah it's like food jazz <laughs> I think it's really cool that your packaging is so representative of you as individuals and your families because then you can really get behind it and I think that's clear when you go to your website and when you see you ladies talking about I mean you talk about everything with such passion like I think you can tell it's really part of you so good job with that yeah hey, can I ask thank a you so much what I mean how much impact do you think the rebranding has had on the success of you you know taking over the business and making it yours I think it has been key in the just in the sense that like it, it was the opportunity for us to reinvigorate the brand and like take it to your point to really like put our own mark on it, put our own stamp on it and make it authentically ours. And it has allowed us to also like infuse to retain the the things about um, about our product that people love and to also layer on 
some things that are important to us. So like, for example, like sourcing of ingredients is super important to us. And so through this whole transition, we actually, um, we actually improved all the sourcing of our pork. So now we have the highest ethical standard out there um, for how we source our pork. We work with a hundred family farms and it's all American humane certified vegetarian fed. Um, and then the same with our spices, like we really looked into where we're sourcing our spices and those we have been trying to get all locally. So we got them out of uh, a place that originated in Pike Place Market um, and then also from Oregon. So it, it really allowed us to um, really take it in our direction and like put our own stamp on it. And also, I think, reinvigorate it, get people excited about what we want to do and open up some new doors for us. So we're we're nervous to do it it's always hard to take something that people have loved for a really long time and then sort of like take it in a new direction but we also felt like we just had to do it because um because it was so important to us and got a question just, I, I can just add to that I mean, the, okay. the nerve-wracking is when you buy a business that's beloved <laughs> that you love too personally it's really nerve-wracking i mean you don't initially the first year we're like oh my god i don't you know we don't, we sort of tried to lay low. We were very nervous about it. You don't want to make any changes. Like even I remember us looking at the tablecloths and being like, oh, well, I don't know. We can't really change the tablecloths because what if people, re you know, how will our, the longtime fans react? And I, and I feel like the, the culmination, initially the move of the restaurant, but then even the culmination of the launch of the new brand was really it was a, sort of like empowering for us because it allowed us to really find um, and, and, and almost tell the world like we, we want to celebrate our history, but then also at the same time, this is authentic to us and we want to take, you know, and we want it to, 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 there are some things that we really care about and we're going to do more of that. And but we also really value all this history. So it's just a very empowering moment. I feel like, um, it's given us, yeah, uh, it, it's been very empowering to do the name change. That's cool. I got a logistics question for you about the, the meat products. So if I go online and I order it, I'm sure I'm going to see all sorts of pictures, but can you order like a whole salami? Yes. Yeah. So you can order. Can, can I, can I yeah. say, will you slice it for me or how does that work? <laughs> oh yeah. Right now we don't pre-slice it, um, okay. but we're working on that. By the summer, we will have sliced products to offer you. Okay. <laughs> um, but so right now, you can order two sizes of the salami. You can order a large stick, uh, which okay. you can slice at home, or you order like a small, what we're calling piccolos, which okay. are like the perfect size for, I don't know if you've been following, there's this trend of the quarantine board where people are making little charcuterie or grazing boards at home with whatever they have yeah. in their cabinet kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually perfect for that. It's just like you could eat one of them sitting um, and then you can try all our flavors. Those are the piccolos. And then we do actually sell whole muscle products, like the copa, the culatello, guanciale, which is, you know, used in and stuff. And those are usually more like chef products because um, you like buy the whole one and then you might dice it up or whatever. For, so, for your listeners in Seattle, if our yeah. restaurant were open or when it is open, you can also go and pre-order to have them slice meat for you or you can just come in and they'll slice it for you. And what about for um, listeners in Portland? Is there a place that they can go to um, to get your products now or is it just online? Yeah, we actually, you started off with one of our customers, the market of choice. 
Oh, um, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> We're at market of choice. We really loved working with them. Uh, we also have a long time relationship with Elephant's Deli, and they've been great. Every time we go to to, to Portland, we stop by because I'm. I love their main deli, uh, their their main location. Um, so they're also longtime partners of ours, um, and also New Seasons uh, carries our, our our product. So perfect. So people can go there and get them or order them even online. And I noticed you have a cute little gift box on your website that has like a variety of the different salamis. Yeah, yeah. that is yeah. great. That, that's that's probably the most popular pro- thing that we sell in on our website. Um, so it's a perfect little like set of four of our favorite flavors, and it comes in this really nice, beautiful box. Um, and it's um, it's uh, you know fifty dollars shipping included online. Very cool. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I noticed on your website, I was doing some investigating last night on you ladies um, that you uh, are the first, and I want to get this term correct, but you're the first female. Um, charcuterie makers in the U.S. Is that right? Yeah, we're not the first like uh, female makers, but we, as far as we know, we're the only um, company that is uh, female-owned that makes okay. uh, like Slovenia and charcuterie. Yes, right. That's so cool. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, neither of us are strangers to being in environments where like the minority, the minority. So I guess it probably fits with that. But it is super fun. It is, um, as you know, things are changing dramatically in that area. So it's it's um, it's been fun to kind of be, uh, you know, uh, challenge people's preconceived notions about what. Uh, someone looks like to make salumi and cured meat. So it's yeah. been super fun. And it's really fun to learn just the craft itself. I, we both love like the making process. So it's cool. We, oh, we're um, going to take a quick break, but then I want to come back and talk a little bit more about inspiring other women food makers. <laughs> okay, Good idea. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences, because food brings people together. And we're back. (laughs) <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> I don't. I can't see Alon's face, so I can't get his cues. I really miss you, Alon. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, inspiring other women. So we like to uh, give people advice, and I think that it's really cool to see women in industries that they're not typically in. So you ladies um, being in this, I, I as well, when I first started the hot, in a hot sauce business, I, I realized right away that it was very male dominated. And so I always just like to encourage people if they are thinking about doing something or they want to learn something new, especially if they don't see a lot of women doing it, just to um, to get in there and figure it out. And I just wanted to know if you guys have any um, advice for female food entrepreneurs out there. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you hit the nail on the head. Like, don't be afraid to jump in. There's, you know, when you look at the statistics, there's just 
that there's too few women who are out there owning businesses. Um, and so we, uh, there is real opportunity to do your own thing, be your own owner and to kind of jump in and like, you know, so often we put our heart and soul into the work that we do. So why not also have the ownership uh, and reward of that? And I think one thing that also drew Clara and I to this opportunity, in addition to it being in a space and with a product that we love, is also the opportunity to create something together. Um, and that's also super unique to have a partner who you can share the load with and that, um, you know, we kind of created our own thing, you know, like we wanted to do something that was really fun and exciting and build something but we also wanted to like have a partner that we could rely on that we could share the load with so that we could still participate in our family lives and so um so this is like a we could create to make that happen so i would say just jump in number one and number two also like um one thing I think Clara was really good at throughout this process is always making sure that we could maintain sort of control of the decision making, um, even if we did have to work with other people at, at different phases. And um, I've really that's turned out to be really important, like making sure that ultimately we can take advice and input from lots of different people. But, but we are the final decision makers. And that's really allowed us to make some bold moves that we wouldn't make otherwise. Can I tell you also a little pitch with partnership? Because I, I I don't think, I do think, I mean, I, I highly encourage also women to go out there and um, have the courage. People want to help, at, you know, you know, you always think, oh, I'm so alone in this. But everybody, if you just ask for, for help, people are very willing to help. Um, but the partnership also, if you're able to find the right partner, and it's, it's hard, it's, it's really amazing. I mean, as Marnie said, I don't know if I could make it through this alone. Um, I mean, one other thing about the partnership is that there's this uh, amazing sort of balance that we have. I mean, it's stressful at times, really stressful. I mean, right now it's extremely stressful. But the fact that, you know, Martinique is there and, you know, when I'm really stressed, she always seems to like bring me off the brink and, <laughs> and, 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 vice, versa. Me, and vice versa. And that is, that's just an incredible opportunity. And I feel like women are good partners. So I highly encourage women to, to, to I encourage women to, 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 to take the leap and sort of, you know, you know, doing your own to becoming a food entrepreneur. Um, but also, and if you can find the right partner, go for it. I think I, it's really wonderful that you have found each other and that it's working so well. <laughs> I, I wanted to tell you ladies about a cool organization that we have here in Portland called the Nightwood Society. So if you ever wanted to come do classes or anything here, they, um, they're they a collective group of women and they'll do a lot of women putting on workshops um, to inspire and teach other women about what they do. So they'll do like butchery classes or, you know, oh, cool. canning classes or things like that. So I just wanted to mention them because when I was reading your stories um, and, and realizing how inspiring you are to women who want to get into charcuterie, that it might be a good place for you to connect with other people. So I just wanted to mention the Nightwood Society to you. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you should check them out. They're really rad, the rad ladies. Um, I also want I, we, you met, you touched on sourcing a little bit, and uh, I did have a question because I didn't really think about this, but um, for a, the the meat that you select and a pig's diet for them to be vegetarian, that is that important to? I, it's just not something I ever thought about. What pigs eat that are turned <laughs> is that is that key to it? 
Uh, yeah, it is. It is the the well. Yes, it it, it does influence the flavor of the pork for sure, and also okay. um, because in a more commercially bred. Um, pig farm also like the what they're being fed can be almost anything and so you don't really you're not really assured about like what's going in uh to the animal and sort of how that's affecting their health um whereas vegetarian fed um does improve the flavor of the pork and actually the gold standard is i don't know if you guys have ever had um you know been to spain and had the iberico ham or you know hams that are cured um in the spanish tradition there's a gold standard where they have a very special breed of pig that only eats acorns. And that's probably like the best, um, that's considered one of the best porks that you can get essentially. Um, and then it's cured for like, it can be one to three years. Um, so that, so yes, it does, a, a, it can affect the, uh, the, the, the pork. And were those all things that you learned as part of training when you took over the business? Yes, we actually, that was one that we learned, um, we had to go out and learn on our own. Um, and as we were thinking through like how, what we wanted to do from a sourcing and how we could, you know, um, really, in, you know, match what our personal goals were and what was important to us with what's available out there and what can also like help the business move forward. So yeah, we had to learn all that. <laughs> we, <laughs> there's so many things we've learned over the last three years. <laughs> so many things. <laughs> We also like to talk a little bit about, um, you know, because a lot of our listeners are makers, we like to talk a little bit about distribution and how you get your product from Seattle to other places. Oh, yeah. What is that oh. process like for you? Oh. Yeah, Clara, go we, ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. There's, uh, the main way we do, actually, we're in a, in a lucky position that our product is shelf-stable, um, and uh, so it doesn't require... Uh, refrigeration. It's also like pretty compact. And so it's actually a really easy product to ship via UPS FedEx. Um, and so that's the primary we sh way we ship. And even to a, a lot of our customers, I mean, we sell to shops and restaurants across the country. Um, and so we ship all via FedEx and UPS. Um, we have more recently started doing a little bit of, uh, you know, working with you know, a local distributor, Peterson Cheese. Um, and so that's, um, so for some larger grocery stores, they require that. So, you know, if we wanted to be a market of choice, for example, we had to, to, to take that step. But, but otherwise, we ship all, um, all direct. Can you tell us a little bit about your new production facility that you're building in Kent? Yeah, yeah, we've been actually up and running there since August, and it was a huge, huge undertaking. That was another thing that we had to um, get smart on by ourselves, um, and it was a pretty crazy process because it's such a specialty. Um, it's such a specialty, you know, pro it's, it's such a specialty process. And so all the equipment related to um, producing salami, it's super specialty. And then on top of that, we really had to make sure like our salami and the process we use is unique. It's, it's proprietary and authentic to us. And so we really had to make sure that whatever we chose in the new facility was really going to allow us to continue to do it in the style that we wanted to, but also we could see that there were some opportunities to improve quality. Um, and so we wanted to use the new production facility as an opportunity to do that um, because there were some things in the smaller facility we just couldn't do due to the size. Did you so have to crazy. hire an uh, engineering firm or did you do all the design work yourself? 
Well, we start, we started to, we tried to hire someone to do it, but we first of all couldn't afford it. And then second of all, we started to realize that it was so specialty that it was really hard and, and specialty to us, it was hard to do that. So what we ended up doing was just getting input from a lot of different people. Um, and then um, Clara actually was instrumental too. We did like, we did like seven or eight passes on the, on the layout and design of what the factory was going to look like before we settled on one that we liked. And we did get input from architects along the way, but the architect who eventually drew up our plans was just like, this is not his specialty at all. So he was kind of just sort of doing what we, um, what we said, but we're really happy with the output because the way we ended up designing the factory is that we can do it in stages because obviously all small businesses are starved for cash and so making an investment like this is a huge deal so we were able to design the facility in a way that um we did the first phase but there's room for two more phases and oh, we're really good. Good. yeah and we're really efficient with this space and i don't know if if your listeners know this but um, meat production is governed by the usda not the fda so yeah. the, the usda has super high standards for um for uh, cleanliness and we actually have an inspector who comes and and kind of audits us every single day and, and so you have to pay them right uh, you pay you actually don't have to pay them you only pay for overtime um okay. but they yeah but and they don't stay all day they come they might come for an, it depends they might come for an hour have to have a, you have to have an office for them or a desk or yes something? you do have to have a desk and like a locked cabinet sort of <laughs> And then and you have to get, we have to get our grant of inspection from the USDA before we could operate even in our new facility. And um, you have to have your recipes approved by them, right? We your you labels or? Yeah, so not your recipes, but the two things that they require is you have to have a HACCP plan, which is um, your, it's like a, your food safety plan, essentially. So you have to have a HACCP plan and then they will look at it and they and sort of approve it i guess and then and then yeah they have to approve all your labels and the the label approval process is super confusing and onerous (laughs) (laughs) is that kind of slow and it can be really slow yeah especially for new labels we just we had to go and get new labels approved because we're highlighting our new like a never ever antibiotic pork and vegetarian fed and all this stuff and we actually also now we make an uncured line so that's oh. no nitrites um and nice. that's actually we're actually moving to all uncured in the next couple months um Have you, so, are you using the celery uh, yes we're celery using stuff? celery Yep, we're using celery powder instead of the um, chemical nitrite. And so we, um, so with that required us to get all new approvals and it was yeah. a crazy process. And we did actually, we worked with, uh, we I worked bet. with a friend on that. It's, and it did, it took like six weeks, I think, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a long time. Well, you guys brought up um, food safety. So this might be a good time to bring up, um, give you the opportunity if you want to talk about the coronavirus or how that's impacting your business at all. Anything you yeah. want to put out there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we would be remiss if we if we didn't all talk about it because I think anyone um, that's listening to this podcast or probably is somehow touched by the food industry um, or maybe working in the food industry. So we just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, yeah, I think everyone's world has been turned upside down. Ours certainly has. Um, we, as we mentioned earlier, we want a restaurant and we had to close that restaurant and furlough our employees and. You know, it is definitely a, a tough situation all around. Um, and obviously, everyone is taking precautions for safety. But I I just wanted to um, say that even in our – that we are living through this along with everyone else, with you guys and your listeners. And, um, 
And, you know, what we've seen on our end is there are these moments that make it really stressful as you think about, like, okay, how are we going to, we've been able to keep our food production going because it's considered an essential business. Um, But even there, because we had a bunch of like food service restaurant accounts, we've seen those sales go down. And so we're just trying to really, um, you know, act decisively and do what needs to be done to ensure that we can make it through here. But even in the face of all that, we've just seen some amazing resilience and like just stories of hope from our employees and even from our customers. Like we um, we've seen, for example, like our website sales have gone up like 300, 400% and people are sending these amazing notes being like, keep going. We want to support you. And even our employees in the food production um, on the food production side, the fact that they show up every day and they're just doing whatever that needs to get done. It's, it's pretty inspiring. And so we just wanted to, you know, send a shout out to everyone out there that's struggling through the same thing and just, you know, we will get through this and um, we're, we're looking forward to being on the other side of it. Yeah, we agree. And we are trying yeah. to check in with all of our, our listeners and let them know if they need help accessing services. We, we're trying to do a running list um, uh, on our Instagram and just connect people the best that we can. But um, I think you're right about customers too. We've received a lot of messages of hope from people. And I think that's really nice. So if I can give advice to any of our listeners, it's just to keep um, trying to cheer each other up and inspire people to get through it and send love. And all those messages really help because every day we were talking about before we started the show, every day is just we try to figure it all out together and, and mm-hmm. it's in this unknown world, it's a little bit challenging. So it's nice to have that support from other people. For sure. Yeah. All right. Um, we are almost ready to wrap up ladies. So um, is the best way that people can support you right now to order from your website? Yes. Corofoods.com. C-O-R-O foods.com. And yeah, we, um, we would appreciate any love you can throw our way. <laughs> awesome. So everybody go online and buy the salami. The mole one is my favorite. It's so good. <laughs> mole is my favorite too. <laughs> it's so awesome. Do you have a, a flavor that you think tells your story the best? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give a shout out to Maya Groomy. <laughs> Although, the agrumi, which is cardamom and orange, I love it. Um, and and I think it also, I mean, it's like mole, so uh, you know, it reflects the inspiration we have um, from you know uh, spices around the world. Um, but I will tell you another thing that's really funny. I mean, we do tons of sampling in in you know normal days, and we're always going out and just having customers taste taste our our salami. And people always ask, well, which is the best one? What's the top seller? And actually, it's really hard to say. I mean, we a lot of people know us for the mole, but really, it's uh, uh, there is no flavor that stands out. Each person I find has their their favorite, um, and so you kind of have to just try them all, and you'll find the one that that that's a good fit for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an expression of people's personality. To I I keep <laughs> on I keep on saying I'm gonna make a personality test around which is your favorite, and it's gonna like tell all about you. <laughs> yeah, you totally sold me. I'm gonna go on there and get one of those gift boxes. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Do I get to pick what's in the gift box, or is that a sort of a preset? Thing. It's a it is a, a preset one for okay. now. Um, maybe in the okay. future we'll make that available, but <laughs> for now it's a, 
it's our it's all of our favorite flavors. I'm pretty sure it's gonna taste really good with all those chocolates I'm getting. Yum. <laughs> You're gonna make a great a great tasting board, Sarah. Yeah. Yes. Um, Ladies, thanks for joining us today. It was so great that our paths crossed and we could meet each other and support each other. And we are super grateful to have you on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Market of Choice is Oregon's largest independent family-owned grocery store. With 10 stores in Oregon, it's all about choice. We focus on having a wide selection of the finest and freshest conventional, natural, organic, local, and health-conscious products. We have more than 1,300 teammates, including real, authentic chefs, bakers, butchers, cheesemongers, florists, and more. We all strive to create an authentic, relaxing, and enjoyable shopping experience with our customers and truly care about the communities where our teammates and our customers live and work. To find the Market of Choice near you, please visit our website at www.marketofchoice.com. At Market of Choice, we buy local. So you can too. And we record Masoni and Marshall inside of Ned Space. Tune in live every Friday at 9 a.m. and find us on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be on a show or submit us any food news, you can do that at startupradionetwork.com. Until next week, bye, everybody. Thank you for bye listening. For Bye. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences. Because food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.